the total amount lost in his complete discipline from the NFL on this contract is $650,000. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. It's a special edition about the Deshaun Watson disciplinary result. I'll get to that in a minute. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. Produced by Brian Neal, my music producer is Sam Brandt. The music maker under us is from my son, Sam. We're going to get to the Deshaun Watson thing in a minute. I hope that this gives you some perspective on what has just happened over this year and a half period where we started hearing about Deshaun. So let's get right to it. We have a decision, and it's a settlement. So right away, we had the appeal hearing officer handpicked by Roger Goodell to appeal the decision of, remember, Judge Sue Robinson, the disciplinary officer jointly picked by the NFLPA and the NFL. She gave out six games. Peter Harvey was poised to give out a suspension that was clearly going to be a lot longer. We'll never know what it was. He never ruled because we have a decision. And here's the decision, not a decision, a settlement. And here's the settlement. The settlement is between the NFLPA and Watson's legal team, and the NFL. So management and player have reached a settlement on this disciplinary matter, and it is an 11-game suspension. Deshaun Watson will not appear in the first 11 games of the 2022 NFL season, and a $5 million fine, which he'll have to pay, uh, and that will be added to by the Browns a million dollars, and the league a million dollars towards healthy relationships, towards women's groups for sexual assault, whatever it may be. There it is. It was a negotiated settlement. We're now two weeks past when appeal officer Peter Harvey got his appeals on an expedited hearing that was supposed to be expedited by now, but it becomes clear that he held off on discipline. Why? Because he wanted the two sides to agree so he wouldn't have to rule. All right, here's my analysis. When this started, when we heard what what does the court of the NFL want for Deshaun Watson? And what does Deshaun Watson's team want for Deshaun Watson? Because they knew there was going to be some NFL discipline involved in this. Well, we go to the extremes, right? The NFL wanted an indefinite suspension, a year plus. He'd reply for reinstatement after a year. Watson's team wanted no discipline. They still maintain, which I'll get to in a minute, no wrongdoing. They didn't do anything wrong. And they feel like they should have had no discipline. So if you look at it from that angle, from the angle of the NFL going in a year plus, Watson's team going in nothing, it seems like the NFL got the better of that bargain. They got an 11-game settlement, 11-game suspension, 11 out of 17 games. He's not going to appear on the field until sometime in mid-November, and I know that's against the Texans and all the drama involved there. That's a long time. It's not a year, but it's a long time. We're in mid-August, so if my math is correct, we won't see Watson on a field for three months. And that's a long time, so the NFL got that. What did they get in terms of the $5 million fine? I think there was always levers to be negotiated with, because the Sue Robinson opinion We just had a six-game suspension. She didn't go into how she picked six games. We never heard about a fine. We heard about a no-massage clause, which I wonder is sort of still part of the deal where he can't go to outside massage, has to do all his massage in the Browns' sanctioned massage therapist. We haven't heard yet about that. 
But that was it. So in this appeal, we knew there were other levers involved, one being mandatory counseling and some kind of treatment, two being a fine, and then the suspension. So the negotiators had a couple things to work with, not so much the treatment and rehabilitation, because that was going to be a given, but they could work with a fine and they could work with the games. So maybe more games suspended, less of a fine, more fine, less a game suspended, and this is what they came up with. Maybe at one point they were talking about a bigger fine, maybe up to the $10 million that was part of the deal with the Texans in this secret, super secret side agreement where the Texans paid Watson to stay away. Or maybe they had more games and less fine, and they brought the fine up. Well, anyway, here we are, 11 games, and we have a fine of $5 million. The lack of remorse bothers me. Deshaun Watson right away is on NFL Network speaking from the Browns, saying he still didn't do anything wrong. Now, on Friday, he made a statement he's sorry for the impact on women. That was clearly a run-up to some kind of settlement. So pre-settlement, there's some remorse, and the Browns put out a statement showing some sort of remorse. But post-settlement, now that he signed it, now it's done, he's like, no remorse. Why is he apologizing? Well, it's triggered some people. That's upsetting. But then you look at it, okay, he's going to go to treatment. He's going to go to counseling. Maybe that'll come out. Maybe over the next few months we'll hear, you know, I really should have had more remorse. I really should have taken this account, the feelings of these women more. And what about the women? Will they have a say in this? Maybe they'll have a say in where the money goes. You know, it's not clear to me where this support for women's groups and things like that. Maybe the NFL should say to these women, where do you think it should go? You know, where would be the best use of this $7 million as we split it up and try to support causes? That might be a way. But there doesn't seem to be a remorse here. So what we're left with is kind of an icky feeling. You know, there's an ickiness about the Watson whole matter because... It just feels like, yeah, the NFL kind of won the negotiation, getting much closer to their desired result than Watson got to his desired result. But did they really? Watson's showing no remorse. Watson's going to be back on the field. And Watson's going to be back on the field four and a half, four plus years. The Browns looked at this as a long-term play. The Browns knew that they were not going to have him for a good portion of this year. They knew that. They had to know that going in. But it's a five-year deal. And from Watson's perspective, what he really wanted to avoid was a full year suspension because financially that would have been a disaster for him relatively. Because if it was a year suspension, the contract would have told. That means it would have frozen in time. That means 2022 would be 2023. 2023 would be 2024. So the million dollar salary in 2022 would move over to 2023. Now he'd keep the 45 million bonus, which he has, which I'm sure has paid off a lot of these settlements and is paying off this $5 million fine. But that would have been over two years if they got a year suspension. And now it's over one year and the contract will continue year two next year towards a five-year deal. Now we talk about the deal. The Watson contract continues to stick out to me. I'm an expert on the business of sports. There's never been business of sports in the NFL from a player point of view, like there has been with this contract. I've said this many times. It's the best contract in NFL history from the player side, and it's not even close. 
It's 46 million a year. It's fully guaranteed. It's a $45 million bonus right up front. That is not, I repeat, not subject to suspension. And when you have a bonus not subject to suspension, that is rare. I've written a ton of contracts and all the bonus language has forfeiture. Forfeiture if you're suspended, forfeiture if it voids, forfeiture if something happens. Not in this case. The Browns specifically avoided that to attract this player. And what's most kind of upsetting about all of this, and again, it's reality, it's business, is that Deshaun Watson is profiting in a great way due in part, and I would say in large part, to his own misconduct. I'll say that again. Deshaun Watson has profited immensely and handsomely in part, in large part, due to his own misconduct. He created a situation where the Houston Texas Texans did not want him. He created a situation where he was paid $10 million to stay home and have a vacation last year. And he was in a situation where they had to pursue an auction. And because of his prodigious talent, there were suitors. And if you remember, at one point, the Browns were out. It was the Saints and Falcons. He's a Southern kid. I think the Panthers were out too. And all of a sudden, the Browns rose from the ashes they not only had him, they were not back in, but they also signed him to this extraordinary contract. And the reason, of course, is money. It looks like a contract written by Watson's agent. The final tally on what his discipline will affect this contract is this. The total amount lost in his complete discipline from the NFL on this contract is $650,000, out of $230 million. So he will make $229.35 million on this contract with an 11-game suspension. That is extraordinary. That is stunning. So what has happened here is the Browns have gone as all in on this player as any player in the history of the sport. And they are still that way. And all their comments since the verdict, since the settlement, it's all been supportive, talking about second chances. Second chances, are you kidding me? 24 lawsuits, 66 women, a year and a half of predatory behavior, seeking out massages that were really sex for sex. Okay. You know my saying, greater talent equals greater tolerance. This is the ultimate example of that. The ultimate example of that. And that's where we are with Deshaun Watson. So at the end of the day, we have a settlement if you look at the extremes where the two sides came from, it seems like a win for the NFL, not for the Players Association. If the Players Association was making some noise, or at least through their media sources, making noise about going to court, good luck with that. If they pursued a strategy of taking Peter Harvey's decision and bringing it in front of a judge, they would have lost, right? They would have lost. Maybe they wouldn't have lost with some district court judge or lower court judge that would be a fan or something like that, as with the Tom Brady case. But they would have lost at an appeal court whenever that would have happened. So Tom Brady lost, Adrian Peterson lost, Ezekiel Elliott lost, Deshaun Watson would have lost. They would have wasted hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of resources that the players fund to represent Deshaun Watson in court, where a judge would have said, hey, you have a private CBA, you win. And at the end of the day, this always does come back to the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. You know, commissioner discipline was always an issue for the NFLPA, and they got it changed in 2020. 
where not Roger Goodell was judge, jury, and executioner, but simply the appellate judge. Judge Sue Robinson would judge and jury. He was the appellate judge, which really is the executioner, because he sat back, didn't like the six-game suspension, handpicked his self-appointed disciplinary officer that was going to make a much harsher discipline than 11 games, and he got the 11 games because he was negotiating from a position of strength. The NFL was, not Watson. So if Watson truly believes he didn't do anything wrong, why is he settling 24 cases? Why are the Texans settling 30 cases? Why is he accepting to miss 11 of the 16, 17 games this year? Why is he accepting a $5 million fine towards women's groups? What's going on there? Of course he knows he did something wrong, and that's why they're making this settlement. And if he really doesn't think he did anything wrong, wow, the NFL just really uh, had a huge hammer on the Watson team, and they didn't do a good job for Deshaun Watson. I don't think that's the case. (laughs) I think all the lawyers involved for Deshaun Watson were begging and pleading to stay away from a year. They got this 11-game suspension. They'll move on. And finally, in terms of moving on, we will move on. You will move on. We will move to other areas to talk about Everyone will put this Deshaun Watson matter behind us until he shows up on a field sometime in mid-November. But there is a bad smell lingering from this. There's an ickiness to all of this, magnified by the lack of remorse that he showed. Yeah, it was behavior that existed for 17 months. It was behavior towards women that on a league that is trying to appeal to that fan base so often that has the pink... Uh, shoes and flags in October. It's just a bad look. It's a bad look by Cleveland. It's a bad look by the NFL. It's a bad look by Watson. And it will linger. We will. This will not be flushed away. It will linger. There is very few people outside of Cleveland with a positive view of the Browns or that player right now. That's where we are. <laughs> um Yeah, we're all waiting, and it took forever, but it took forever because I think at the end of the day, the NFL gave Watson all this time, and they were going to come down with the hammer probably tonight or tomorrow, and they staved it off with this settlement. Again, decently good settlement on paper for the NFL. Still a bad look. Still a bad look. Really bad look for the Browns. Their PR is bad, but... At some point, it will go away, probably go away with Watson going away. It'll come back bad when he comes in. We heard some taunts from the Jacksonville crowd in preseason. That will happen again this year, probably still next year. After he throws a few touchdown passes, yeah, great. But he better be good. You know, Forget about the behavior. With this contract, he better be good. Not just okay. Really good. Really good. They can't get out. You know, every other contract, every other contract in the league after, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins three year deal a few years ago, every other contract you can get out without paying the guy. You can get out at some point. You can get out without paying the guy. Not in Cleveland. (laughs) Not in Cleveland. That is the most secure player contract in the history of the sport. All right. We'll leave it there. I've got more. Stay with me. First, a word from AG1. I'm going to get to another rant. I think you'll love it. Uh, But I want to talk about AG1. This is something I've been using for a long time. I have been pouring a scoop 
of AG1 in my water every morning. I started taking it because I didn't want to have all the pills, vitamins, supplements. I still take a couple of supplements, but I didn't want to take a bunch of them. This gives me the greens I need. It's got vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens. They're all in there. And I take it and I feel good. You know me, I'm into health. I'm into fitness. It's better sleep and recovery, I find. It's better uh, energy throughout the day. Um, I think it's cheaper than taking all the supplements. And the one thing it also gives me is mental clarity, alertness. It's the one thing I use that I feel like, okay, once I got that going early in the morning, I'm ready to go. I can write, I can read, I can do my media, I can do my teaching. So jump in, just like I did, one scoop a day. Uh, and AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. You need that. No matter how much sun you get, you need vitamin D. They're also going to give you five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash BOS. That's business of sports. Again, athleticgreens.com slash BOS. Take ownership of your health. Pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens, AG1. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back to the rants. I want to talk about the Big Ten. Before we got to the Watson news today, we had extraordinary news, stunning news out of college sports. The Big Ten Conference, now replete with L.A. schools, USC and UCLA, is, has made its media deals. And the media deals are just like the NFL. They made a, a host of networks pulling together in terms of media revenue for the conference. NBC, CBS, Fox, the only notable exception, no ESPN. But here's the tally, 7.5 to $8 billion over seven years. I'll say it again, 7.5 to $8 billion over seven years. This is extraordinary. This is stunning. This is a college conference, not college sports in general. One conference is going to make almost $8 billion over seven years for media rights alone. That's stunning. That puts them on par, way above the NHL. Again, one college conference, way above the NHL, and moving up towards other sports. Again, to give it perspective, MLS just signed a big deal with Apple for $250 million a year. This is over a billion a year for college sports. Big Ten, you know who they are, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, Indiana, Minnesota, now Maryland, now Rutgers, Wisconsin, and now we bring in the two L.A. schools with, um, of course, forgot Iowa. We bring up uh, USC and UCLA. That is extraordinary money. And these university presidents are probably looking at Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, the way... NFL team owners look at Roger Goodell. Let's pay him whatever because he's making us a ton of money. That's happening. It's an extraordinary amount. And I think the thing that's most stunning is this. This is on the backs of unpaid labor. Listen, I know NIL is in the game. I know there's a lot of booster money going to these players at the top. 
I know NIL has changed the game in some ways. And of course, they get scholarships, they get tuition, they get free room and board, all those things. But here's the fact. They're unpaid by the schools. They're not employees. They're making money, which is peanuts, except for the top tier players. And they're making $8 billion off these players, right? Primarily football, but other sports as well. $8 billion is coming in to the coffers of the Big Ten with unpaid labor. Now, all these other leagues I talk about with their media revenues, MLS, NHL, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, their EPL, English Premier League, they're paying the players a lot. You know, minimum salaries of five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars These guys aren't making anything. It's extraordinary with a revenue model. What a business the Big Ten is. What a business. Extraordinary they're making this kind of money. Extraordinary. I'll say it again. $8 billion over seven years for a college conference, one conference, with unpaid labor. There is no player payroll expense. There's none. Now, again, we can be cynical about, yeah, they're really paying them and the boosters are really them and all that NIL and the recruiting inducements. But let's be real. They're not employees. They're not making salaries. And sure, a few of the outliers are going to make big money coming in as recruiting inducements. But this is extraordinary. $8 billion for the Big Ten. Continue to shake my head at that. A couple more rants. NFL hold-ins over hold-outs. I've talked about this before. In my day, hold-outs were the thing. I didn't worry about them. Out of sight, out of mind. You don't think about a player that's holding out. It's not a big deal. Hold-ins, much more effective strategy. The player goes in and the words of Sean Lynch is just there so he doesn't get fined. He doesn't participate. He hangs around until his contract is upgraded. It worked for Jalen Ramsey a few years ago with the Rams. It worked for TJ Watt last year and this year. We had the three receivers, Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, and Debo Samuel worked for all of them. And now it's worked for Derwin James and the LA Chargers, a strong, strong safety deal, best safety deal in the league, just by showing up, just by holding in. The one now we await is Roquan Smith. This seems more problematic. He's gone public with some of the Bears negotiating tactics as he sits without an agent. They went in there. They offered de-escalators. That's something you don't offer to players of that caliber. That's something for players coming off injury. That's something for players who are not uh, top-tier players. Roquan put that out there. We'll see where this goes. Deadline spur action. I still think the Bears can overcome this. But they've got to pay top market. They've got to pay the top inside linebacker market and maybe more for their as a financial apology for what they've already done. As I've talked about, I've dealt with the Bears on high-level players. I advised Allen Robinson, his agent, Brandon Parker, his father, Eugene Parker, was my mentor. Eugene passed away. I told his family I would mentor those boys. Brandon's representing Allen Robinson. I got a firsthand view of what the Bears were doing with him. It wasn't right. They didn't seem to want to accept the top receiver market for Allen. And maybe they're not accepting the top inside linebacker market for Roquan Smith. But hold-ins have worked over holdouts. Hold-ins is a good strategy. It's something new. I'm sure the NFL teams don't like it. But the only thing I would say is they are rewarding these guys. And if you're going to be a hold-in, you better be special. And I think these guys, in those teams' views, 
Deontay Johnson, Debo, <coughs> excuse me, DK Metcalf, they are special. And Roquan Smith is special. We'll see how that one ends. Finally, a note about, I mentioned EPL, your Premier League, English Premier League. One of those teams is potentially selling off a big stake. And that is pleasing to fans. I've mentioned this before. A lot of American ownership in the EPL, a lot of NFL ownership in the EPL. One of those families is the Glazers, the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Word has it they're now going to sell off a big stake of Manchester United. This in the face of fans revolting against them, feeling that they haven't invested in the team. That's an afterthought for them. They're all into the Tampa Bay Bucks. They're not into Manchester United. And they haven't fixed up Old Trafford Stadium. All of that going on. And here we are. They are selling off a piece of it. And we already have the richest guy in the UK, James Ratliff. We've talked about the uh, old director of Man U getting involved. We're going to see other people surface if this happens. Valuation, $6 billion. <clears throat> so the Glazers can get some good PR and get a pocket full of some big time money by doing this. That appears to be what's happening there. Okay, that'll do it. Uh, you can hear my voice is already uh, failing a little bit. Start talking about this Deshaun situation as I have. Where we are is Deshaun Watson settled. Not a great feeling about it um, from either side. And maybe that's a good thing. They both didn't get what they wanted, but it just the ickiness will linger. That'll do it. I'm going to have much more on this in my newsletter. Uh, Andrew-Brandt.com is how you sign up. I'm going to have much more of this in my daily videos. Andrew-Brandt.com slash SBL, Sports Business League. Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Instagram, where I do reels on this, Andrew Brandt 2. Uh, appreciate if you'd share the podcast with a friend and also give us a good rating. Really appreciate it. Hopefully you feel this is a one-of-kind podcast. There's nothing like it. I'm with you as much as I can, ranting and bringing in guests to give unique and uh unique and differentiated perspective about the NFL and all sports. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal. Thanks to my music producer, Sam Brandt. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.